Um, let me kind of give you where we were last week and where we are in this season at Vintage. We're in this, we're doing this series called Gods at War. And basically the idea is little g, gods at war. The idea that there are many gods that are clamoring for the primary affection, the primary uh, place in our lives. We call them, these in the Old Testament and New Testament, we call them idols. There are these things, right, that, that Jesus called other lovers. He called other lovers. And at one point in the Old Testament, he says, I am a jealous God. And in his jealousy, what he's speaking about is this fact that there, are, there is me, God, who sits here. I'm the Lord of your life. But there are other lovers that you forsook when you gave your life to Jesus, and they're back over here. And they're always clamoring for your affection. They're always clamoring for the primary place in your life. And so we've been talking about this, the nature of, of these gods that are warring for your life. They're warring for your, the throne of your heart. They're warring basically number one, right? They're warring against the primary love, Jesus, that's in your life as followers of Jesus. And so that's where we were last week. We, we spoke on these, the gods of, of pleasure, the gods of pleasure. We said that the, the gods of pleasure often begin simply as good things, good things that God gives us to enjoy in life. So we said that this gods of pleasure could be food. It could, could be entertainment. It could, it could be sex. It could be relaxation. No matter what it may be, there are these good things that God gives to, to be a part of our life. But that far too often, these good things become ultimate things, don't they? These good things, these good things of, of food. We love food. God's given it to us. We celebrate. Let's go eat, right? That's why we love Thanksgiving. That's why we love Christmas, right? Get to sit down, eat the big meal. We're super excited about what's coming. We get dessert, right? We get to sit back and then watch some football and just sit there and go, oh, tryptophan, right? That means you want to fall asleep, right? From eating turkeys. It's this beautiful peace, right? We love it. But we also know people who that when situations arise and they're looking for looking to to be satisfied, what are they instead of turning to God or turning to whatever they turn to food? And all of a sudden in that moment, food goes from being a good thing to an ultimate thing. We know those who've done it with the same thing with this gift of sex that God's given us with the bounds of marriage. But some people take that and they flip it and it becomes the sole provider of joy and fulfillment in their life because of the pleasure, the thing that they strive after. So, so, in our, so in our lives, what we find is that we wake up every morning for the, for the hoping to, for, to, to reach this and have this pleasure, whatever the day may be, right? We wake up to it. We, we work so we can get to the pleasure, right? That's why we, we had this phrase. You've ever heard of it? Thank God it's Friday. TGIF, right? Because everyone knows that Monday through Friday is ultimately miserable, right? Everyone's living for relaxation on the weekend. And so we live going, oh, Jesus, just help me get through. But let me tell you something. In the eyes of God and in the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as thank God it's Friday because I thank God for every day. Why? Because he's the one who satisfies in the midst of everything else going on. And so we said these gods then of, of, of pleasure, then they steal the ultimate joy that these good things can bring because we look to them to bring ultimate pleasure rather than looking to the living. Listen, this is important, this phrase of defining God, the living, breathing, active Jesus. 
He's living. He's breathing. I know that looks like in heaven, to be honest with you, right? But he's breathing, right? He's, he's active. Therefore, if that's the case then, and his movement, then, then we can find pleasure because he's not just on Saturday and Sunday. And so we talked about this nature then of our lives. We have to be honest then about where do we look for pleasure? Where do we look for fulfillment in life? What does that look like for us? And if that's somewhere other than God, Jesus, then maybe we've made an idol of that thing and we've removed Jesus from this place and said, hey, I want you as one of the things that bring bring pleasure to me. In fact, I'm probably going to look to you when my business starts failing, my marriage starts failing, my friends start failing, when all the things start going bad in my life. That's probably when I'll turn to you because I know you're my fail safe. You'll all, you, you have to do this. Instead of seeing, no, God, every moment of every day, my ultimate delight and pleasure is found in an ongoing, active, living, breathing relationship with you. And so then the gods of pleasure take that they do this, they flip and say, hey, it's a good thing. Food and sex and relaxation, all these things, man, they're great. Let's not make them ultimate. And so we're always doing a, a search of our own hearts and our own lives to figure out, God, where am I in relation to you? And do I have other lovers that I've invited into our home together? Because that does not fly in your home. It does not fly in my home, God would say. And so we want to be honest with those things. Now this week, here this morning, and then in our combat journals, for those of you who have those in our small groups, we're going to be speaking about the gods of success, the gods of success. And I think we all understand the desire for success because each of us experience this good desire in our own specific way. And right, it's a good thing to, to desire success. Right, listen, I want to be successful as a father. I want to be successful as a husband. I want to be successful as a son to my dad. I want to be successful in what I do here at Vintage of, of being the pastor here. Right? I want to be successful as a neighbor to those people that I, I live around. Right? I want to be successful. I want there to, to, for my life to be marked by ultimately, yes, I've succeeded in this thing that I'm going after. And so we celebrate that success is a good thing in our lives, that it's good to desire, and to, and to a degree it's good for us to pursue that. Success is a good thing. We see biblically a couple of stories of Joshua and David. Joshua and Joshua 1, chapter 7 and 8. It, Moses has, has died. Let me tell you, there's nothing more miserable for Israel than when Moses died. They're like, what do we do? Right? And Joshua, everyone goes, what do we do, Joshua? He goes, oh, I don't know. Right? And so God comes to him. And remember how God, he always speaks to us with, with, with words of encouragement, the exact opposite of how we feel. So this is Joshua goes, hey, be strong and courageous. Why? Because God looked at him and said, you're not strong feeling right now, and you definitely don't feel courageous. So he says, it's like four or five or six times, he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Then one, he goes, then one point, he goes, be strong and very courageous. Have courage, right? And he goes on, and let me just kind of read this to you in, in verse uh, verse 7, I don't have it on the screen. It says this, Be strong and courageous. Be careful, Joshua, to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful 
wherever you go. And then all of you know the story of King Saul, King Saul and Samuel. He comes up the very first king of Israel and he's doing his kingship. He goes from being good to being bad pretty quick. And then all of a sudden God raises David up. God raises David up, right? And, and, in, and in David, we see Saul is threatened because David was blessed by God in an unbelievable way. And it says that in everything he did, listen to this. I mean, just listen to the, the adjectives and the nouns and all these things that are used here to describe David's life, okay? In everything he did, he had great success, Because the Lord was with him. You can't miss that. Everywhere he went, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And so it brings us back to this whole message on idolatry and gods at war, right? Because if you look at the life of Joshua and definitely the life of David, what you see is is men who, who have set aside stuff of their lives to make God as their priority. In fact, in Psalm 27, David says something to the effect of this. He says, this, shall I, this, is, uh, this is what I seek. They may dwell in the ha- One thing I ask, this shall I seek. One thing I ask of God, this shall I seek with all my primary pursuits, that I may dwell in the house of God forever, that I may, that I may just look upon him and meditate on his goodness One thing, listen, David was the wealthiest man in all of the kingdom, in all of the world that they knew. He was unbelievably wealthy. He had wives. He had power. He had influence. He had everything you could ever think of. He said, all of this is meaningless, stealing from Solomon and, and, and Ecclesiastes. All of this is meaningless apart from knowing God, being near to him, and then just all day long meditating on him. And so what we see then is that this divine success that God is speaking about is birthed out of, for these guys, having success as a good thing, but having the priority of the relationship, this living, breathing, active relationship with him every moment of every day as the primary thing and the priority of their life. And what I believe we can say is that success then is birthed not from our actions, but ultimately from a life devoted in relationship with no other lovers, clamoring for priority in our relationship and giving everything we are to him. And as that happens, Scripture says, God pours out grace and blessing and success on the humble who recognize it's not about me, it's about him. And so we live in this place then that success is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. Because haven't we all known people who have done that? Who've made success in work or success in winning or success in even a business partnership and it just crumbles. Why? Because in their desire for success, they step on you or step on someone. How many of you had parents, a dad who stepped on a mom because of other success and gave no time to you or to the rest of your family? How many of you know people in your life, in your neighborhood, in your family, somewhere who have, ch- who have chosen success above everything else? And today, maybe you're still, still reeling from that. 
all of us know people who have allowed this idol of success to be too big of a thing in their life. So let me just share with you something that David Ravenhill, some of you, most of you probably have not heard of him, but he was a pastor back in the day. And he said this about, and I want you to hear this. I'm just going to read it to you. I want you to, to listen. Don't close your eyes. and may fall asleep, but just listen. He says this, speaking about the idol of success. He says this, Though you may find it hard to believe, there is an addiction more subtle and more powerful than either drugs or pornography. It's older than, it's older than prostitution, more prevalent than alcohol, more addictive than cocaine. It doesn't discriminate between male and female, black or white, young or old, rich or poor. Its strength is greater than all of their addictions combined. It's as rampant in the church as it is in the world. It leaves the body on the outside unscathed, but destroys the soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. The vast majority of people addicted have little, if any, understanding of its power or its perils. This idol of success that we clamor after. So here's my question for you in talking about success. How do you gauge success in your life? Like, at the end of the day, I were to say, hey, was it a successful day? And you were to answer that question, what's, how would you answer it? What would have to happen in your daily life? We're talking, this is uber practical, okay? What would need to happen in your life for it to feel like today or that day had been a success, right? Whatever it is, right? Just going to be completely honest. What would make you, you feel like you were successful? Just think about it real quick, okay? And here's what, I'm gonna, what I want you to do. I want you to, I've got, I got my hair up like this. Let me put it up there so you can see it better. I want you to take that word in your mind and get a big Sharpie, and I want you to write it on my forehead, okay? Even if it's going to help you to literally do it, right? I don't care. Just put your hand up. You're like, why is he doing that? Because they're putting Sharpie on my forehead. I want you to write that word on my forehead because I want it to be in front of you the entire message today. I want you to be thinking, because I'm going to name something else that's someone else's, kind of their success thing. But I want you to think about your thing. What's the thing that's a good thing for success in your life, maybe that can get turned up on its head and become too much of an ultimate thing? How do you gauge success in your life? Okay, take a second, just kind of think about it. Now, I'm going to kind of give you a list of ten things, Okay. There are as many possible success idols in the world as there are people. So I'm going to give you ten that I think are prevalent in this culture. I guarantee you one of them is prevalent and relevant in your life, or at least has been, and more than likely all of them have been something clamoring for, little lover clamoring for, your, for attention in your life. Here's the list, all right? These are, these are really practical. Number one. These, these things that we gauge as success. Number one, well-behaved children, right? Especially at a restaurant in public with other people watching you, right? And you're sitting there, and your child, by the, by the grace of God, but you really think it's your parenting that's done this, they're being angels tonight, right? And, and, and other kids over here just screaming bloody murder, right? And, and, you're, just, and you're like, oh, 
Yeah, we're, we're good parents, aren't we? We really are pretty awesome, right? And you sit there and you do this and you're like, I'm really glad that we're not those people. And what you mean is you're better than they are, right? You're gauging your success by the behavior of your children. Or how many of you would gauge success by power and by influence? And I usually, that always, always means in the eyes of other people, doesn't it? You can have all the power and influence in the world, but if you can't let someone else see how much power and influence you had, it doesn't really mean anything, right? So you gauge it by power and influence. So you get around somebody and you scan the room to see who's more powerful and who has more influence than you. Or you sit at a business meeting and someone says, we need help here. And you're like, oh, I know so-and-so. I can call them, right? Because it's who you know is power and influence. And so you deem success. You go, ah. Yeah, right? Because you get to exercise in front of everyone to go, oh, he knows so-and-so. Wow. They won't say it out loud. They're saying on the inside. Why? Because they look at you and recognize, man, he's got power and influence. That's a success thing for you that becomes an idol. The second thing maybe, or third thing, excuse me, is material goods. Do you have neighbors who, when they bought the new car, they drove slower than they ever have past your house to get to their home? They drive by, like, Hong Kong, yay! Did you get a new car? Oh, yeah, yeah, man, right? Got the whole dynamic going down because, and how many of your friends, they get a new car, get a new phone, they get new something new, new golf clubs, new fishing gear, a new boat? I don't care. Go, hey, man, what's going on? I haven't heard you from them for a while. Man, what's going on? Well, I was driving home from the boat dealership, really. Oh, awesome, <laughs> right? Click, whatever it may be, right? Because this is this whole material good thing. Or someone like they, they, they're, they're on the, you're walking towards you and they kind of turn like this. This is so they can see the brand new phone that you have, right? And they're like, hey dude, you see these new apps they have on the iPhone? It's pretty awesome, right? And they're like, oh, whatever, man. So I got the Blackberry, right? So anyway, it's this whole dynamic going down, right? This material goods, we feel successful carrying these things sometimes, or maybe it's an abundance of money, right? How many of you just, Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you've walked into a room and you've thought to yourself, I'm the most successful person in here, but what you meant is I have the most money. I mean, I'm around people like that every day because I'm around myself sometimes, right? Anyway, so we have all of this stuff. I mean, seriously, it's all of this stuff that we think these things. Success in winning. I mean, people mean like it's, it's win at all costs. Because they've made this clamoring God of success and winning. I mean, listen, I just praise God. There's not a competitive bone in my body. Number six, right? Number six, a high moral record. Listen, if you grew up in the South, this is your idol. Because no one needs to know what happened behind your closed doors. Because you need to present yourselves as being perfect and having it all together. And you're always so thankful when it comes out that this person over here, the, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Bless their heart, right? And what you're really saying is we're better than they are because we didn't get caught with our morality, but they got caught, praise God. Let's talk about them. The people who do the most talking about other people's morality are the ones who are most immoral. I'm just saying, okay? They're the most immoral. Why? Because there's this stuff going on inside. They're hiding something. Why? Because there's this thing we put out there of high morality. This is definitely true in the church 
In the church, man, we're like Pharisees. We clean the outside of our cup and no one has any idea what's going on in our hearts. And we claim in our minds, as we think of ourselves as being better than our neighbors who are just, they're literally waking up just still halfway drunk in the front yard. Oh, thank God we're not like those people. Thank you, Jesus. We're so moral. Number seven, maybe success for you is having a lot of friends. Maybe this huge, massive network of people. And you don't care about anything else, but man, I've got friends. This is so true, especially like junior high and in high school. It's all about who you know and it's and all this stuff, right? Who I know and who I'm friends with and all of this stuff. Or maybe for, for number eight, maybe this is true for you. It maybe in going, I'll just go PG, not like uh, Ernie did last week, a PG-13 or rated R maybe. But, this, but number eight, this thing we clamor for. And success, the number of men or women that you've been with in your life intimately, right? I mean, how many of you have heard people around the water tank at work having a conversation about this? And they're just like, oh, that guy's so cool, man, right? Whatever it may be. Number nine, this is true, all you youth listen to this and parents of youth. Think about grades. You deem yourself as having success because you have good grades. And how that plays itself out, you get a B minus. Oh my gosh, it's the end of the world, right? I'm like so-and-so, right? The dumb person in class, right? And it's like, no, right? And this whole dynamic, oh my gosh, the world's coming down. That was never me. They were always down, right? But, but it's like this whole deal with grades, seriously. We had this whole dynamic going down. This We gauge our success by this. Or number 10, this is, so, this is like a new, number one in our culture, I believe. We gauge our own success by our child's success in school or in sports. Do you think that you're better than someone on your team because your, your son hit a home run yesterday in baseball? Like, oh, man, you're like, this is awesome. Yeah, as if you actually did something, Right. Or in grades in school, like you think that, oh, man, you're, oh, I'm so sorry. You're, you guys, your son got a C. My daughter got an A+. Plus. I'm just, I mean, but yeah, I'm just praying for you, right? Whatever it may be. It's this whole dynamic. We have this whole success thing going down. Listen, this is, this is prevalent in our culture. So when I use the word gauge, you have something on my forehead. Each of you right now, you have to put a word on my forehead, right? Just write it down right now. Something that you're thinking about that clamors as a primary thing in your life that takes the place of fulfillment in your life other than God. What is it? I mean, you have to name something because if, if you don't, then you're lying to yourself. Each of us have something that's an idol of success, clamoring for attention, that's taking affection away from God. We have to name it right here. And so the gauge, this is important, like you all know what the gauges on your car do, right? They warn you or let you know what's going on with your car, don't they? And so you have this little part right here. This is the healthy place, right? The success is good. It's in a good place. But there's also that red part when all of a sudden the meter gets over here and it's like danger, danger, danger. You see, each of you have to create a gauge on the dashboard of your own heart and mind that lets you know when the area of idolatry and and other lovers with a jealous God who won't won't share you with anything else, that there is a gauge letting you know when you've hit the danger zone. And if you don't have a gauge, then you've already gone into the danger zone. 
because you have to be aware of these things. We see one of these stories in Luke chapter 18 of someone who's kind of gotten into the red zone with the story that you all know, the rich young ruler, Luke chapter 18. Here your Bibles, you can turn there. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18, going through verse 24. Go ahead and bring it up on the screen for me, Hayden. It says this, a certain ruler, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, Jesus says. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor, honor your father and honor your mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. And he goes on and says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, what I want you to recognize is this. The thing on the gauge of this rich young ruler's life is power, money, power and wealth. Power and wealth. We know this, Matthew tells us that he literally is a rich young ruler. And so what I want you to recognize this morning when we tell the story about this man, we're not, this is not a story about money, necessarily. It's a story about his idol that he's dealing with, but it deals with every other idol of success that we deal with. So in this story, when they're using money and they're using wealth as the thing that they need to deal with, this idol in their heart, you, think, you just put whatever's on my forehead in that blank. Okay, That's the vein I want you to be thinking about today. You can, if it's money for you, fantastic, the story's written for you, right? But it's something else, I want you to just look at it, and that's what you're filling in right here, right? So Matthew comes, he says, hey, he's a rich young ruler. So what I want you to see, he was, he was young, he was rich, and he is a ruler, so he has power, okay? He's rich, he's young, he's rich, and he's powerful. And that's the case that it probably means that he was a man who was driven to succeed. And because he's young and rich and a ruler, it probably means he was very disciplined. He's one of those guys that you would want to have work for you, right? Because he's a guy who can make things happen. He can make things happen, right? He is working harder than everybody else. He's staying late at the office than everybody else. He is like he has no boundaries on his life, and he is working. He's a guy, man, he can make anything happen. In fact, he's so fantastic in his own mind, he comes and asks Jesus, hey, good teacher, what must, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't need your help, is what he's saying, right? You just need to tell me, and then I'll make it happen. Do you see that in the story? What, good teacher, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. In this mindset, we see that eternal life was something that he could make happen. He could earn it by, by the right doing. And here in the moment, his idol is exposed. It's the idol of success. I can make things happen. I've got the power. I've got the ability. I can do all of this, and I can make it happen. I'm the ruler of my own life, right? This week as I was praying, and I kind of just let you behind the curtain for me, this week as I was praying, like, God, what am I struggling with? And he, he, God just spoke as clear as day. And I want you all to hear this. God spoke as clear as day into my heart. and said, Steve, the great idol of your culture and of America is the idol of self-reliance. You can make it, you can pull your own bootstraps up and in your own strength, you can make it happen because that's the American way. 
And so we live in a culture that says, I can do it, I can make it, I can save myself. The rich young ruler, is a, he'd be a great American. He'd be a great American. CNN would love him, Fox News would love him, and they would agree on something, right? They would love the rich young ruler. He could make it happen. And so he comes into the moment. He's exposing this idol. Why? Because this idol of success, he sees himself on the throne of his own heart, and he can make things happen in his own strength. And the idea is he can accomplish it. He can achieve it, right? And so we see Jesus in Luke 18. He confronts him. Let me tell you something about your life. You think when you hit a wall, you think it's either the enemy or it's unfair. And I'm going to tell you majority of the time it's God's mercy. It's God's mercy. He's let you hit a wall so that you'll stop relying on yourself and have to turn to him. And we run, we get mad, we get angry. We're like, we're going to all these different places trying to get all this stuff fixed. And God's just saying, I let you hit the wall, friend, the child, because you've been self-reliant for so long and you can't do it in your own strength. And so he comes to the rich young ruler. And he comes to this moment, and he confronts him with a choice. Here are all sorts of lovers, and they're bright and they're shiny right over here. But here's the other one. See, he brought him to a crossroad. He hit the wall. And was like, you can go one of two ways. You can go towards other lovers. You can go towards me. You can embrace the idol of success and make that define your life, or you can come to me. And he says in Matthew 6, 24, he says, listen, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The idea for us is this picture that we can't have Jesus. Listen, my, the great misnomer in the American church today is that you can have Jesus as an important thing in your life along with lots of other stuff. And the phrase that I would say to you, and I want you to process this one, hear this. I don't know who said it, but I'm just quoting somebody. I don't know. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all in our lives or he can't be Lord at all. That's the idea of being a Lord, that everything in our lives is devoted to him and he is numero uno. And so in our lives, you reach a crossroad. He's not giving you, there's a choice here. You can choose other lovers, and they're going to satisfy you for a season, maybe even a lengthy season. But at the end of that time, they are going to fail you. That's why I've brought you to confrontation. How many of you love when someone comes up and confronts you with truth? And they just kind of slap you across the face is what it feels like. I don't enjoy that, but I enjoy it. I had a situation on the field where one of, my, one of the coaches, man, for Anacathon's team, he was just going irate, and I... Came up right and got in his face, and I said, you need to shut up right now because you are causing every girl to freak out. He kind of looked at me, right, and he sat down and took over, right, took over in the moment. And after the game, he came up to me and said, I did not enjoy that, but I've never had anyone do that. Please do it again if that happens. And I said, don't worry, I will, <laughs> right? And the idea is God confronts us in the moment. And Jesus came, the rich young ruler, and he came and says, and he said, hey, so it's great, you know all this stuff, but you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, 
and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He says, when he heard this, the rich young ruler became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. You see, Jesus looked at the other lover and he said, I see it and I'm going to confront you with it. Whatever this thing is on my head, this is what he would confront you with, right? This thing right here, confronting you with it. And he comes and says, I love you too much to let you go that direction. So he confronts us and says, crossroad moment. What are you going to do? Why? Because he is a, he is a jealous lover. I love his story. First, he speaks to his religiosity. His what we would call here southern Christianity. He speaks to, to their southern Christianity and says, hey, have you had high morality? Have you done all the things that good Christians are supposed to do? Right? Have you not gotten drunk in public? Right? Have you, whatever it may be, right? Have you not had sex with someone outside of your marriage? Have you done all the right things? Have you said the right things? You read your Bible for an hour a day and prayed and listened to Christian radio and gotten Christian plumbers to come to your house, right? And all that with other Christian yellow pages, right? Only listen to Christian music and Christian movies, right? All this stuff. Have you done all the right things that good Christians are supposed to do? And he looks at it and says, I've done all of these since I was first, since, since I was a child. I mean, this guy is an overachiever, right? And we would, and we'd all go, oh, and this is how we'd classify him usually. Oh, he's such a good Christian guy. That's how we would classify him today. Oh, he's such a good Christian guy. And Jesus just goes like this and says, let me expose your heart to you. Because your heart never lies. Listen, it's the idea. There's no such thing as a Sunday Christian in the eyes of God. Ever. Either you are a 24-7 Christian or you are no Christian at all. And so Jesus says, you're the Lord of all, right? Lord at all, right? The whole thing, right? He comes and says, here's your heart. Here's the idol of success. Here's the thing that's keeping you from me. Here's the thing. You have made the idol. You have made the, the, the thing that fulfills you power and money. How do we know that? Because when God asks him to get rid of it, he can't do it. And if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, it may be a little bit difficult to get rid of something, but you gladly do it for what you know you will get in him. And so the idea then is coming and Jesus exposes other lover, right? He said, hey, it's either me or it's nothing, right? So, so in this story, the primary issue of success is power and money, but you have to name it for you. What is your thing? I'm about to give four points, just real practical points about money, but I want you to fill in the blank with this thing written across my forehead for you. What is it for you? What's this gauge of success? What's the thing that's on your radar screen, that's on your gauge? What's the thing on your, like your life? You're like, oh, there it is right there, and it's, oh, it's teetering. Be careful, whatever it may be. What is that thing for you? Because I would say this, and I want you to, this is on the, on the screen. We're made for something that will last forever. And nothing that doesn't last forever will ever fill the need of your heart. Let's leave it on the screen for a little bit. I want you to kind of process this a little bit. If something's not eternal in nature, as in it will last for the rest of eternity with God in heaven, then it can never satisfy the only thing, listen, the only thing that can eternally satisfy everlasting eternal beings who will spend forever with him are eternal things, namely God, 
namely Jesus, namely the Holy Spirit. And so here are four things that I want to name. Listen, lies of the God of money or lies of the God of whatever you have on my forehead right here, okay? Number one thing is money will satisfy you. Number one lie. Money will satisfy you. If we only had enough of it, then we would truly be happy. Whatever this thing is right here, if you had enough of it, you would ultimately be happy, right? And we've decided that the phrase, money won't make you happy, is something rich people say to make us feel better who aren't, right? So we say, oh, but, but yes, yeah, true, but if, right? But if I just a little bit more, right? And then we begin to believe, even just a little bit of the lie, a little lie is a big lie, right? We believe this life. We just had enough money, a little bit more money then we would be satisfied. How many of you would say you're satisfied with the amount of money that you have? Not many of you. Let me just put this, put this in perspective, okay? I want you to hear me say this. You know, God just spoke a lot about the, God's heart for the poor, biblical mandate of, of loving the poor throughout Scripture, over a thousand verses in all of Scripture, talk about his biblical mandate from, from beginning to end of our mandate to care for the poor, right? And, 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 and this idea is this. If you have three meals a day, a roof over your head, and you make even just a little bit of money, more than a dollar a day, you represent 1% of the wealthiest people in the world which means that you are, represent the wealthiest people, top, the top 1% in all of the world. 1%, excuse me. Ooh. You represent 1% of the wealthiest of all the world. All right? So, number two, money means that you matter, right? If you have it, you matter. We think money can make us significant. We often judge our worth by how much we are monetarily worth. Or whatever it is that we have, we judge this by, right? I have this, therefore I matter. It completes me in a sense, right? At the end of the day, what do you say? If I say, at the end of your day, you say, today was successful because, and you name something. Listen, if it's ultimately something other than God gave me the ability today to do this, and you, but you actually name something, there's a good chance that that thing right here is an idol in your life. We are only, listen, we are only successful in life. Some of you don't believe this. I'm just telling you, but I'm going to tell you it's true. Some of you believe like that success is defined by what we do. But I'm telling you, success can only be defined by what God does and enables us to do in life. Therefore, at the end of the day, we worship him going to bed saying, God, I made millions today, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done in me, how you've gifted me, God. And I know tomorrow you could take it away like that. Someone asked Charles Stanley one time, how do you stay humble? And he said every day to every person who asked him and still does to this day, he's well into his 70s, because he could take it away like that. He lives in the moment of recognizing he's not great, but his God is. Number three, money, the great lie is money will make you secure. Make you secure. Money will make you secure. Hear this. The truth is whatever you put your security in ends up being your God. What ultimately brings security in your life? 
See, that reveals where you put your hope and what you hope in when times get difficult. And with enough money, listen, with enough money, God doesn't really seem all that necessary in our life, does he? That's why I believe it is harder to be a Christian in America than anywhere else in the world. Please send me someplace where I may be killed for my faith because I will wake up in that day recognizing without God, everything is meaningless. That's why I pray when people say, I've lost everything. I'm like, oh, praise God. Right? Praise God. Because you, let me tell you this. When that happens, how much more do you pray and rely on God? Fourth thing, money will save you. Money will save you. The real problem with all of idolatry is that we look to something other than Jesus to be our salvation. So let's kind of go through a list here. We're lonely. We look to a relationship for salvation. I'll never forget being in college, and I, was, I remember saying, I, and this is the phrase I used to use, tell me later, but I am painfully single. That's the phrase that I would use, right? I'm painfully single. I'm sure none of you experienced that in life, right? I like, people are like, hey, Steve, how are you? Oh, I'm just feeling painfully single today. My gosh, this is awful, right? And so we live in this place of just our singleness, and some of us, we, we freak out when we're single, and we freak out when even our spouse leaves, right? We're like, oh my gosh, right? And, and it's like, we can't even function without our spouse and someone important in our life. We're like, hey, can you go over and hang out? Because like, you need somebody, right? There's this whole thing, right? We, we feel lonely and we look, to a, we look to, a, to a relationship for salvation. We're empty and we look to possessions for salvation. We're depressed and we look to food to save us from it, right? We're rejected. We look to pornography to save us. We're angry. We look to alcohol to save us. We're apathetic and we look to our work and production at work for our salvation and for our value and for our worth. We're proud, and we look to status and what others think of us for salvation. We're worried, and we look to money for salvation. You see, this idea for us is that we wrestle every day. Our gauges are pinging every day on the idol of success. If you don't think so, then there's a little judge who's what I call the self-righteous judge on your shoulder saying, no, no, you're not as bad as the other person. And if you ever compare yourself to somebody else, make you feel better about yourself, then you have an idol in your life. You only compare yourself to Jesus. And that's painful. But it makes us aware that that's the case. Then God, I can't do anything of value Only you can help me. And he goes, thank you for finally humbling yourself. I've been waiting. I pour out my grace on the humble. Thank you for finally doing that, child. Being sick and tired of watching your arrogance, think you can make everything happen like the rich young willer in your own strength. Story. There's a millionaire named Millard Fuller. Tells of a story of becoming a millionaire at the age of 29. He was young. He was rich, and because of that, he had some power. And he said that he was in the stage where he bought his, he bought his wife everything that she could possibly want. But one day, he came home to a note that his wife had left. And he just starts freaking out. Like, oh, my gosh. And so he gets in his car, right? And he begins to travel all the way through New York City, trying to, trying to find his wife, trying to go to people's houses, going to hotels. And finally comes to this hotel, comes in. And it's like, is Linda Fuller here? And he's, she's, he's like, I'm, his, I'm her husband, Millard Fuller. And, da, 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 da. and he's like, well, yes, she's here. He goes running up to the room and knocks on the door. She opens it, and she's just weeping. She's just reached this place in her life, and she just looks at him. She's like, I just can't do it anymore. 
this lifestyle of everything and all and, and everything in my life that I get and the stuff you give me, the, this clamoring for, for all this power and influence and people and the stuff that they think compete with the Joneses, it's just not working for me anymore. I'm so dissatisfied. The things that our society says we're supposed to be satisfying, they're just left me cold, right? My heart is empty and my spirit is burned out. I don't know what to do. And he says he knelt down on the side of the bed and they began to pray and they committed that they were going to sell everything that they had and dedicate themselves to serving the poor. So it says the next day, he says the next day we woke up and we went to a church because it was Sunday. Go to the church, we go in at the service, we tell the minister, hey, this is what's been going on in our life. This is where it's left us. And this is what we're going to do. And the minister, I understand his heart, but in this complete lunacy, says, well, you know, you don't really have to give up everything. You don't have to really give up everything in your life. And he looked at him and said, it's not about everything. We're just giving up, period. Everything, all of me is devoted to God. We've been doing all this garbage over here but it oh it's just oh it's a stench in my nostrils we're giving up we want god and so he did miller linda fuller maybe people that you know they started an organization that we know as habitat for humanity how many of you ever worked on a habitat home how many of you in this room you see they were the rich young rulers in their life they had reached this place where nothing satisfied because they had taken all these other lovers. Listen, they were probably Christians. They probably went to church every Sunday morning. They probably sang Christian songs, listened to Christian radio stations, and got Christian plumbers, all that kind of stuff, right? And they reached a point saying, and none of it satisfies. What is this for you? Tell yourself, this will never satisfy. It is simply something that should be good that easily becomes an idol in my life. And I would say this to you before we pray. Probably all of those things that I named are idols or possibly idols in your life at some point, depending on what scenario and what situation you are in in life. Which means that in your life, you need to have lots of gauges, y'all. And you to be with the help of Jesus, watching them every day, not freaking out in condemnation, but saying, Jesus, I submit myself to you. How am I doing today in loving you above everything else? Let's pray. Father, as we sit here in this moment, Lord, we, we desire, and I just pray, God, a crucifixion of these little lawyers that pop up on our shoulders saying, well, you're not really that bad. This really, this isn't really that bad. No, God really wants you to have this in your life. And Father, it's competing for our affection and our devotion to you. Father God, convict us this morning, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would reveal the thing in our lives that's on, our, that's on my forehead that always needs to stay before us. Father, we love you. We ask that you would come and confront us out of love. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, here's what I want to say.